Hello and welcome to this CMD Roundtable debate on equal pay and gender equality in community pharmacy. I'm Lillian Anekwe, Deputy Editor of CMD, and I'm here with my co-chair, CMD News Editor Grace Lewis. Hello. Thanks very much for joining us for this podcast. So let's start. In April, CMD reported on the gender pay gap at pharmacy chains and also launched an interactive tool to present exclusive data showing the difference in pay between male and female community pharmacists in the same roles. These stories and analyses have thrown up some concerning questions. So to help us delve into these questions, I'm really pleased that we have a great panel of speakers joining us today. So I'll just ask them to start by introducing themselves in a few words. If I start with the lady to my left, please. Deborah Evans, and I'm a pharmacist and set up the Women in Pharmacy uh, Facebook group. I'm Hannah Batchelor. I'm a senior lecturer at the University of Birmingham and did a small research project looking at gender diversity across the pharmacy profession. My name is Vina Dadwal. Um, I'm an independent pharmacist and I'm representing the NAWP, um, who launched, um, first of all, the Women's Rights to Vote and are quite gender active. <laughs> <laughs> Francesca Ocosi, I'm Director of People at the General Pharmaceutical Council, the regulator. I've only been there for 10 months, but I've had a lot of involvement in the diversity and gender throughout my career. Um, my name is Olutayo Arikawi. I'm the Superintendent of Pharmacies for the Priority Community Pharmacy. Welcome, everybody. So, today's debate was prompted by the government requirement for all UK companies with more than 250 employees to publish a report detailing the gender pay gap in their company. That is the difference in the average pay of all men and women across the organisation's workforce. So, Grace, do you want to start us off by giving us an overview of the news coverage that we've run on C&D recently on the gender pay gap at the larger pharmacy chains? Of course, yes. Um, As Lillian mentioned, the organisations employing over 250 staff were required by law to publish their gender pay gaps. Um, And I must stress, this is the measure of the difference between men's and women's average earnings across the company, regardless of their role or seniority. Mm-hmm. Um, it had to be, that had to be done by April 4th. Um, so we took a look at the largest pharmacy chains um, and their gender pay gap data from 2017. Uh, so that covers Boots, Lloyd's Pharmacy, Well, Rowlands, uh, Rowlands uh, Day Lewis, Superdrug, Cohen's and Palin's. Um, and these ranged from 16% at Cohen's and to 31% at Lloyd's Pharmacy. Okay. Um, it occurred to me when we were covering this that, Grace, you're really well positioned to look into this stuff because not only are you an award-winning pharmacy journalist, yeah, I said it, <laughs> but you also <laughs> used to uh, work for a publication for uh, on human resources and uh, employment. So I'm just interested, when you were in touch with the bigger pharmacy organisations and talking to them about their gender pay gap, did you get any sense from them that there was any appetite for change or they were committed to tackling the problem? Yes, um, nearly all of the pharmacy chains said they already had measures in place to encourage uh, diversity inclusion across their organisations. But So we have to look at the sort of wider issue on why these gaps are still occurring and a lot of them have committed to to improving those offerings. Um, Lloyd's Pharmacy for example uh, introducing a performance related pay structure, Mm -hmm. Rowlands is introducing a job evaluation scheme, Mm -hmm. Um, Superdrug's parent company uh, has pledged to review its flexible working policies which I know is is something that a lot of your guys 
uh, research has tapped into as well um, to support not only women moving into senior roles, but also encourage more men to take up sort of flexible working and part-time roles and things like that. So um, it does look encouraging on, on paper, but it's just making sure that happens in reality. So when I was reading uh, the news coverage, a lot of the same messages seem to be coming out, and um, not just from pharmacy chains, but from organisations, because it felt like for a, a while everyone was talking about it. But the reasoning was often that women tended to earn less on average than men because the argument goes women do more of the less well-paid jobs in these companies. So for me personally, I was really proud when CND took that issue of the gender pay gap one step further and did an analysis, um, which uh, we all contributed to, Christopher in particular, looking at the difference in pay earned by male and female pharmacists who were doing the same role. And we compared average salaries of branch managers and employee pharmacists and found in both cases, men were paid more than £2,000 or 5% more a year on average than women. So all of that said, it seems like a good place to start the discussion. And I'd like to come first to the pharmacists on the panel who are currently working in community pharmacies, so Oliteo and Vina. Does this, these findings of, in the first place, there being a gender pay gap and one being of this kind of size, does this resonate with your experiences? And also I'm interested in how would you know necessarily if you were being paid less than a man doing the same role? So Oliteo, do you want to go first? Well, I think you've just said what I wanted to say. How would you know? <laughs> so, because um, it might be that we've been paid less in one way or another, but because um, we don't ask each other what you're being paid for, the role that you're in, so sometimes it's difficult to be able to say, well, I'm being paid less. And I think also, before now, it's been hard to come out and challenge, mm-hmm. you know, and challenge pay, but I think we're getting more confidence you know, now to be able to challenge and rise up to more senior roles and challenge our pay. Yeah. Vina, you're a contractor now. Have you been an employee pharmacist and a, and a former guys? What's your experience? I have. So I've worked in hospital mm-hmm. um, only for a short while, though, and it was actually very standard. Okay. So it depended on your banding, so it doesn't matter whether you were male or female. Um, so that was equal pays um, in hospital. And that was at the Imperial College um, Trust at Hammersmith Hospital. Mm-hmm. So I've actually never experienced um, a gender pay gap because, um, so ho- hospital sector was the same. Then I did a little bit of consultancy for industry. Mm-hmm. And that was also the same. And it was always merited by your position and your seniority. And it didn't matter whether you were... Uh, but uh, So I didn't actually experience it. And obviously, being an independent pharmacist, we generally, uh, our employees were locums. Mm-hmm. However, I had a regular locum who used to work for Boots, and there came a time when Boots didn't want to pay them the rates that they were paying them. And it was um, actually at the initiation of the new pharmacy contract. So they're dropping female locum salaries at the time, Mm -hmm. um, mentioning no names. But then that locum actually refused to work for Boots. Because women always had the power to say no or negotiate their pay, uh, whatever they were receiving. But it depended on the woman, actually, because if you knew 
um, what your value was, and and you um, and it's the same in hospital. If you felt that you were doing a job which was, then you could negotiate pay. But a lot of the time, I think women themselves weren't empowered or had the confidence to actually negotiate a higher pay. Is that the impression that you get maybe from, you said you often employ locums, yeah. have you noticed that's the pattern yeah. coming through with locums that you employ? Yes, yes. For example, um, I have a very young um, locum at the moment because my ex-locum retired and she's super, she has so much energy, but she, um, when she was trying to find um, a placement for work after she um, registered um, with the GPHC, she was having problems finding locums. And, and so she was willing to take a pay cut, basically, mm-hmm. in order to get that. And she said, because there is still the thinking that women will leave, they will have children. And, mm. and you know, especially in the corporate world, Boots, Lloyds, they, so, um, and there is a difference. Right. Definitely a difference in pay. Um, um, one of my lookums, I actually gave up what has a lookum because... She was finding it hard to get jobs following coming back from maternity. Mm-hmm. And um, I encouraged her to apply to um, a lot of companies. And finally, she came back to tell me that she's got a job. Right. And on further probing, she only got a job as a dispenser, even okay. though she was a pharmacist. Right. You know, So it took me time. I had to take her to my house, and I had to sit her down and you know, try to let her see her work. Mm-hmm. You know, because I felt at that point she was being, she was deflated and she felt that, well, she's been all for maternity. Yeah. I feel maternity should be celebrated. You shouldn't have to pay because you went for maternity, Absolutely. you know. And so um, I had to look at her CV. So I think sometimes also we're not celebrating ourselves enough. So mm-hmm. I had to help her to look at her CV. We had to rewrite her CV. And today, I mean, I think um, within some time she was able to get offer from two companies. And she's working as a pharmacist now, yeah. you know, but it took, you know, giving her my own time, even though I didn't know her before. But I just felt that you can't settle for the job of a dispenser when you are a qualified pharmacist, even qualified before me. Mm. So That speaks to a lot of issues, doesn't mm-hmm. it, about so kind much. of coaching and support for, for women pharmacists and the challenges of coming back to work after maternity leave as well. Is that an issue that other people have struggled with or other people have dealt with in their careers? I think, um, first of all, um, listening to women on the Facebook community, there is um, a lack of support for women juggling caring responsibilities with their career. Um, So I think we should acknowledge that that is an issue Mm -hmm. and how you balance both maternity but also that period when your children are very dependent. Um, It's an issue and I think um, organisations perhaps need to look at the flexibility around how they deal with that. Um, For my part, I've had uh, four children and I've been doing various different roles during the time that I had them. Um, Early days, I was a locum, so I very Mm -hmm. much managed my own um, career from that point of view when I worked, when I didn't work. Um, But I had 12 years in industry when I had two of my children and it was a very flexible environment, Mm -hmm. uh, perhaps very different to community pharmacy Mm -hmm. from that point of view, Mm -hmm. where you need somebody to be present from the moment you were open in the morning through to the time that you close um, and very very well supported in the industry environment so um, I think it's a combination of looking at policies and practices 
within an organisation to encourage anyone with caring responsibilities, and that includes men. I think we need to be encouraging mm. men to take more yeah, caring yeah. responsibilities. I think that will do a lot for the gender pay gap. Um, but also um, for women to not... Uh, perhaps to put themselves forward more um, and be bolder in their demands of an organisation um, about you know that that kind of contract between you and the company that you work for, so they get the best from you, yeah. but you also get the best from the organisation. Yeah. Just talking on the gender pay gap, nearly all the multiples, and as I said, other companies as well, said the differences could be explained because of factors such as there being more men in senior positions, there being more women in store roles, um, pharmacies employing a greater proportion of women who work part-time, who take time off on maternity leave and so on, and which can cause a variation in the mean levels of pay when you look across an organisation. Mm. So I just wonder, is there a kind of bigger recruitment issue here? And Deborah, you mentioned you started a Facebook mm-hmm. group for... Uh, women in leadership in pharmacy and I remember speaking to you shortly after you started it you said you'd had 6,000 people join in just a few days so there's obviously a phenomenal demand so has this issue come up in your discussions and as I said is there a wider recruitment issue or is there something some work to be done around how we recruit and who we recruit? So I think the gender pay gap um, first of all it's really positive that organisations have to report on it and I think it's a great opportunity for organizations to look at the data that's come out and say what what does that tell us about our organization and can we explain why we have these differences um, and actually the fact that women are in perhaps some of the lower paid roles mm-hmm. and part-time roles is raises more questions around yeah. you know are we getting the right representation of women at higher mm-hmm. levels within an organization how much of that is women's women's choice and how much is it that the culture of the organization doesn't facilitate and encourage women to be in those senior positions so i think there's lots and lots of things mm-hmm. that are going on beneath the surface so you have to be a little cautious about the headlines it's about sure. digging a bit deeper to try and understand what that average is telling you but it is a wonderful opportunity for organizations to say okay let's do something about this uh, and we can talk about that later about what they could do mm-hmm. but certainly um, it is an issue and we need to look at some of the causes rather than just what the outcome is I'd certainly like to look later at what we can do but just on this issue of gender balance and seniority if we can bring in Hannah you and your colleagues at the University of Birmingham recently published some research looking at uh, gender equality or inequality at senior levels of the profession I read the report where we covered it for C&D, but for those who haven't come across it, can you just summarise your research and what you found? Yeah, this was a a summer project done by Maria Naylor, and she was really looking at the balance of the uh, females to males on the GPHD register and seeing how closely that was reflected across a range of roles within the pharmacy profession. So the first interesting point was that 61% of the register was female, and we were looking to see whether that was mirrored in senior roles. We found that it wasn't mirrored in senior roles and it was mirrored to different levels so the publicly available data we could access was things like within academia where 16 percent of heads of schools were female 16 one six right and 24 percent of professors were female right bearing in mind there's a 61 percent pharmacist on the register that's on the register now typically across universities we're seeing about 70 percent female undergrad cohorts Mm. and it's really important we reflect our cohort 
Um, she also looked at some of the um, role organisation panels and committees that lead pharmacy, so places like the RPS, GPHC, Academy of Pharmaceutical Sciences, MHRA, PSNC and NPA. She was just looking for publicly available data to see really what was there. And they ranged in their management teams from um, GPHC had 51% female in their management team, yet okay. in their chair positions, only one of seven was a woman. Oh, so okay. they are involving, it's, it's how we, we um, characterise these levels of seniority. Mm-hmm. Whereas the, um, I'm, I'm afraid I am going to name and shame, but the NBA had no no women at all in their leadership positions. Wow. And I think it's really important that we make think, sure to that To be fair, I think it. that's recently changed. Yeah, it may have changed, yeah. yes. Yeah. This, this, this data was collected during, I should sure. say that, being the scientist I am, <laughs> September to December 2017. Yeah. That's when the data collected. Very, very lately. <coughs> One woman out of... 13 it's, areas, it's isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's really important. During the study that was going on, again, we're going to come to look at how we do it. Mm-hmm. I don't want to alienate uh, the men that are doing such a good job, and there are some men who are really championing feminism yeah. and women's rights within their profession. But we just need to look at how we make space and how we can include people in it. So, yeah, overall, in the we also did some survey looking at... Um, a short selection of acute hospital pharmacy trusts that were local to us in the West Midlands and also a small community pharmacy chain and they showed similar results to all the other professions where typically the, the best we were seeing was about 30 to 40 percent of women in senior roles. That was the best. That was the best wow. we could see um, and I ju- it's just for me um, as an academic I want to make sure every time I'm looking out to my students that they've all got opportunities to excel and succeed um, in an equal way, regardless yeah. of their gender. And ethnicity. people to look up to as well. Yeah. Yeah. If you oh want to be able to see yourself in those positions. And Absolutely. If, if yeah. yeah. Elder white men, then <laughs> that's not... Yeah, it's it's so important on that, uh, Francesca, yes. you mentioned not to single out the GPHC, yeah. but just because the GPHC yeah. was one yeah. of the organisations that Hannah's group looked at. I suppose the question for you is, is the regulator... Should the regulator be doing something to reflect the workforce? What can the regulator do to reflect the workforce it represents? And is there anything you can say about other other leadership organisations in the sector as well? Yeah, well, certainly, I think um, the first thing we have to do as a regulator is, I always call it consumer and smoke. So you've got to make sure that as an organisation yourself, you're demonstrating um, um, what you believe is the the right thing. So Mm -hmm. certainly as an organisation, we're really, really um, positive about promoting work-life balance. So, and, and encouraging everyone at every level to to do that. And also think more creatively about the way in which the work is, is delivered. So that notion of, you know, five, and it, and it isn't always the same to translate that in, in community pharmacy, but the notion that you've got to be at a desk nine to five, Monday to Friday, um, is not to what you have to do in, in the modern uh, workplace. So we mm. try to think about bringing the whole person, bringing themselves to work. You know, they're a mother, they're, you know, they're a sister, they're a carer for their elderly parents, uh, all sorts of things. And they bring that to work with them. So you've got to think about how you expand the role and how you, all, you know, help them you know manage all of those challenges that's the first thing uh clearly i think you mentioned that uh, in our sort of um governance arrangements uh we're also thinking about how we recruit so we're about to have a significant turnover of council members uh, okay. in the next uh, 12 months and we're proactively thinking about who do we engage and who do we how do we go out and attract a more diverse 
group of council members because and some of those will come from the profession Mm -hmm. Uh, and we've been doing that quite successfully I mean we're not where we want to be but we've been doing that successfully with our associates and partnerships a group who are the ones who sit on uh, various fitness to practice panels and so on and we've been actively going out to different sorts of places to attract pharmacy professionals and and I do need to say here when, when we talk about pharmacy professionals it's both our qualified pharmacists and our pharmacy technicians right because you know I think you know the figures says 88% of pharmacy technicians are women mm-hmm. and so we're thinking how do we make sure that we give them opportunities to sit on uh, on a, as a council member or be a, a pharmacy representative on a on a panel mm-hmm. so those are things that we're trying to do mm-hmm. and I think as a regulator clearly our role is limited in terms of what we can do but we would certainly want to support and participate in any discussion and debate that the wider professional bodies are having and we would encourage them to have those kind of conversations because uh, it's about thinking differently about how we um, deliver those services, how we're supporting the community and how we make sure we're getting the best talent in the profession because ultimately our role is about working in partnership with the pharmacy profession to ensure that our patients and the public are kept safe Mm -hmm. and the way that you're going to do that is by attracting the most diverse talent in the community and that means having women represented at all levels of of the of the profession yeah uh, in both in community pharmacy and in the nhs and i, I would acknowledge because i'm a newbie to the pharmacy profession and um, having only been with the gphc for 10 months that there is a challenge across um very various sectors including the nhs and the wider public sector and the private sector mm-hmm. um and i think we'll come on a bit later on but um where I've seen it work, um, yeah. but we were having a conversation earlier about the fact that I've also seen it unfortunately um, reverse, is about everybody championing the role of women throughout the organisation. Mm. And it isn't just a women's issue, it's yeah. everybody's issue. And I've Indeed. seen it really work when senior men have championed and supported and coached and mentored um, and given opportunities to women in, in their organisations. And I would really encourage the pharmacy profession as a whole to think about that because there are issues around representation at sure. that level too so it's going to require the men in the pharmacy profession to help women progress through that pro- profession and I'd really encourage that yeah I agree just a follow-up question Francesca you mentioned the regulators quite keen to look in different places to find to kind of reflect the diversity that you're looking for what what kinds of places do you think you might look or what kinds of areas are there perhaps that are been untapped as yet. Yeah, well, well, I think we, you know, it's about going out to the community. It's about talking to bodies that represent uh, diverse groups, women, and so on. It's not going to the usual places of advertising the usual, um, uh, you know, publications. It's actually talking to people and getting community mm-hmm. contacts, talking to other professionals, and saying, um, you know, could you make sure you pass this information to your colleagues? But it's also for some, and I think this is an issue for women. Often women will look at something and think, well, unless I can tick 90% of what's on there, I can't do it. Right. So what you've also got to do is get the message out that actually you're not required to have done it. We actually want people who don't have all the experience. We want you having the potential and the ability to learn and we'll support and coach you through that. Yeah. Because uh, women will often disqualify themselves and we find that with some of those types of roles. So it's talking to people, getting the message out, not just going through headhunters, but getting contacts and saying... In your community, can you please let people know that we're looking for pharmacy technicians okay. to be here? You know, they may not think it's something for them. We're looking for pharmacists who may not be as experienced, but they bring life experience with them. So, okay. you know, 
at least put yourself forward. Don't don't uh, disqualify yourself disqualify yourself at the beginning of that process. Okay, Alita, I saw you nodding your head <laughs> a lot of the time that Francesca was talking. <laughs> what what do you think of that? And also, Francesca was talking about the importance of supporting and mentoring and coaching. I know that's an area you're interested in. Have Have you had that? And how helpful did you find it? Yeah, I think, well, um, you also get personal satisfaction from helping and supporting other people. Mm-hmm. And um, on my way here this morning, I I met with um, another pharmacist, Sunil, and he was so passionate about men supporting women, you know, um, to get nice, to senior, nice. <laughs> senior roles. And it was like, I mean, he said exactly what, what she said about sometimes the men also have to give the women the opportunity and they have to you know, help to support and tell them that they can do it. And I know that personally too, um, I've had situations where I felt that I wasn't up to the task. Mm. You know, I felt that I wasn't good enough. But because somebody told me that, well, you can t- just go for it. And the worst thing that would happen is to be turned down. Yeah. And I know that um, a lot of times I've ended up going for it and, you know, getting it. So, well... Um, if I never pick up the courage, it's not easy all the time. Mm-hmm. It's like you've got to battle with it. Should I do it? Should I not do it? You know. But I think that we should just say yes, and you know, you you see, um, you see yourself coming through, and you see um, all the innate ability that you mm-hmm. have. You know, you you see it coming through, and then you're gonna encourage another woman. You know, because if you can do it, it means any other person. You're not you're not special. That's it. Yeah. But it means that you're championing the cause for other women. I think it's interesting to hear you say that you doubt yourself because you're an award-winning <laughs> pharmacist and if you doubt yourself and need a coach or somebody to give, give you a pep talk, then there must be so many people who will be listening who will as well. Vina, what did you think of uh, what Francesca was saying about how to reflect diversity in the um, workforce? With... Uh, the the thing is, the youngsters um, I've noticed is that they do things in a different way. Mm-hmm. Okay, um, recruitment has to be active, and it's not like the olden days. You go around to the universities. You do you should do that anyway. Mm-hmm. You know when they're graduating, or um, that should be done. But they, it has to be put out there in the media, in the media that they understand, and they will right. press the buttons or some sort of incentives to make them do that because they are their their biggest constraint that we didn't have at their age and it's a youngsters um, is that time management the pressures of um, all the tick boxes for pharmacy Mm -hmm. including GPHC technicians means that um, they actually have very little time and and the time that they have, they go out and enjoy themselves, which is the right thing to do. <laughs> yeah, which is right. So we have to target them in the media and, for example, with politics, votes are won because young people are voting and they're doing it on. Yeah, there's deviations, there's manipulations. Um, <laughs> however, if we if it means that we get good people and entrepreneurs okay. onto um, the um, GPHC. Um, then why not? Is it money based? Because mm-hmm. many of them are. It's like they last ten pounds. You know, allocate this to GPHC and RPS has a problems because people are not joining RPS. Mm-hmm. They don't need to since the two um, unless they want to. Yeah. But the way things are happening now, they we need to modernise. Mm. Uh, it's the same with the GPHC. It's the same. We and we have to compete with all these 
with the Americans or whoever, whoever's doing it, no matter how they're doing it, to get recruitment. Um, and unfortunately, many of us are, whether it's in independent or in hospital, it's a responsibility of all the tasks that are bestowed upon us as well as all the CPD. Yeah. Um, so I think we should put something out there in terms of surveys where maybe we can give them a voucher or something or some way we can get recruitment and see what they think about the pay gaps and mm-hmm. whether it's just because it's time. It's the empowerment. And it's uh, like Ulu says, um, she didn't have the confidence. Um, it's continual, which Deborah would be great at because you've done the leadership. And I learned a lot from having those two or three events. Um, but it's getting those people to come to the events and it's continual professional development but we need development in other ways not just professional right it's a media it's a technology because that is the guru at the moment Mm -hmm. and if you're not in that you're out basically Vina, you raise a really important point actually and is one of my motivations for getting so passionate about this issue is that um, i don't see our leadership in the profession identified by Maria and Hannah's research mm. as being representative now of the majority of pharmacists that are working yes. with patients. So um, that's it, that's diversity in its its broadest sense. Yeah, you know, I'm particularly passionate about seeing more women, but we need a diverse mix. Yeah. you know, within that, there's lots of different layers um, in terms of getting the profession properly represented, and it's not happening at the moment. Um, the good news is that the time feels right now. There's mm-hmm. a lot of discussion about it. Mm-hmm. It's not just in pharmacy. It's across all professions, yes. public and private sectors. And so, um, you know, right down to sexual harassment and bullying, which we haven't even touched on. Mm. These are all issues that are out there generally and are enabling us to have a discussion. So um, I'm really confident that something is going to change. Okay. Um, if we can't make it change in the current context, then... There's something seriously wrong because the you know the time is right. Yeah, one of the really big issues that's um, been out there, and we've covered it in C and D, and I'm quite keen to get the panel's thoughts on is the one about equal pay. And actually, Grace, do you want to recap what we can say from C and D's analysis? Yes, there's probably a lot of figures coming coming your <laughs> way. Right? So, um, so according to responses to C and D salary survey, which ran throughout October 2017, the average salary of 162 male branch managers working between 35 and 45 hours a week was just over 40, £47,000 uh, compared to £44,660 for the 169 female branch managers. So that's a difference of nearly £2,500 mm-hmm. or 5% um, over the year. So uh, the, the average salary was slightly smaller uh, when it came to uh, second or non-manager community pharmacists, but again, just over £2,000 difference, a uh, 5% difference between uh, male and female. So um, it's both those sort of, uh, those issues, again, the, the, the senior and and even um, second and non-manager community pharmacists uh, are, are sort of stuck in that equal pay gap, as we, yeah. <laughs> if we can call it, um, which is worrying. Uh, uh, and and, and uh, as we've all touched on, there's clearly an issue, but I wonder if we talked about the next generation and now's the time for change. Does that mean it's sort of hopeless for the current current generation? That the, the people gen- that are, are slogging <laughs> the day to day are 
are they the ones that are going to implement the changes and then not benefit from them? What what can mm. we do now to make it worthwhile for, for them to stay in there? Great question. Who wants to start? <laughs> I, I can start, start starting at the very junior pharmacists, those that are training to be pharmacists at the university. We certainly do talk to students about mentoring, aspirations, mm. and we don't see a difference in career pathways for the based on gender. Mm-hmm. It's not that the... I know that there does tend to be a propensity of more females in community pharmacy, but when we ask our students at undergrad level, Mm. we see very similar patterns in what they want to do with their pharmacy degree. So I think at that stage we are seeing the progression. Perhaps it's something we need to build in while we've got our captive audience there, talking to them about these issues, so that in the future they can talk to each other about salaries, they can talk about where opportunities come up, and they can support each other. Yeah, so it's not so taboo that no, everyone yeah. is discouraged from yeah. discussing yeah. their salary. They have great WhatsApp groups to talk about everything else. <laughs> yes. That's because they want to get away from the pharmacy. <laughs> <laughs> no, but the other thing is, which I thought about, in the hospital there was always a grading system. Mm. Right. You don't have that in community. Okay, mm. So locum comes in, oh my God, I can't get locum. Let me get Deborah because she's free today. Um, so basically... Maybe um, there should be one of the solutions, because you're looking for solutions, how we can, um, is um, grading um, the the level of pharmacists in community. Because it's the community that is going to be a big issue with all the corporates taking over everything. Right. Um, so perhaps, I don't know what Lloyds do, and I haven't worked for Boots recently, but... Um, how do they grade and then how are the salaries increased and do you have to have certain competencies like you do in hospital in order to reach that grade because that then all also makes them better themselves and it gives them that confidence well you know I can now go up to the next stage and 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 I think that's important especially as with the new service um, clinical pharmacies coming to or has come to a community sure. pharmacy rather than just the dispensing side of it. And I can see um, aspects of that because I've having worked in both sectors. Um, so one of the solutions to close the gap is probably to have a grading system within the corporates as well as in community. I can see that as because you have to have like basic grade, grade A, grade whatever, um, and that way that one close the gap. Um, now, I don't know, because your survey has been done in the corporates, the CND survey. It's not gone to hospital pharmacy, has it? No, we're yeah. Yeah. main audience is the community yeah, pharmacy. So. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. because that is where the issue picture. is. Mm. Yeah. So you may see a different picture, because I see a different picture mm. from that level. And Vina, um, you won't know this, but you get a bonus point, because you're actually talking about an issue which we had a question from a reader submitted to put to the panel so we're going to come to that we're going to come to that very issue later but just um talking about equal pay grace when i was reading through the coverage i was struck by one comment um from lloyd's pharmacy which i only given as an example um we reported on all of the big chains but they made what i felt was quite a strident comment which was quote there is no significant difference between hourly pay rate of male and female employees within our network, end quote. Um, And as I said, that comment struck me because I thought that was quite strident, but I also felt like, maybe this is just my journalistic curiosity, but I just felt like, what's a significant difference? Who 
decides what that is. If I knew that there was a man who was being paid a penny more than I was, <laughs> just because they were a man, I would be annoyed. And I, I put this out on Twitter, not in response to the, the Lloyd's Pharmacy comment, but somebody else in a different story raised the same issue, that this 5% is not significant. And I just put it out there that I I don't I feel it's quite a dangerous road to start going down, labelling things as significant and insignificant. Yeah, you know, if there's if we feel that an equal pay gap isn't okay and it's not okay because it's unfair and also objectively speaking it's against the law, there's a legal requirement in Britain that men and women who are doing equal work should be paid the same. So let's not try to look for rationalizations of why it may or may not be okay to pay people differently i think just to to stress that i think that comment the lloyd's pharmacy was that was in response to their gender pay yes, yes so it was just to, right. just to make yeah. sure i know that throughout all of our coverage there has been some confusion between the gender pay gap really and the issue yeah you have to be clear and we're so in no way accusing lloyd's no no <laughs> they're just one example and this also yeah. to stress this is a sector-wide and a society-wide like issue it's really yeah. not singling out any one particular company at all so I've been a recruiting manager like many of us um, I would imagine um, over the years and um, the equal equal pay is equal pay and we should be paying people the same mm-hmm. for doing the same job but we also need to recognise, and, and you touched on it, Fina, the supply and demand issues. So um, if you're, and this is particularly relevant for pharmacists and locum pharmacists in community, if you're in an area where there's a surfeit of pharmacists mm-hmm. and a contractor, whomever they might be, from whichever organisation or whether they're independent, can pay their locum less because people are competing with each other based on pay, then they will pay less. Equally, if you're in an area where you're really struggling as an organisation to recruit for a particular role, a manager in a particular area of the country where it's very difficult to do that, then one of the ways that you may encourage or support somebody to make that move, and there'll be all sorts of other things to take into account, may be the overall package. Yeah. So when I've been a recruiting manager in the past, we've usually had a band mm-hmm. within a band, if that makes sense. So if somebody has a certain set of skills has a certain um, amount of experience, then there will be a range of pay that you can award that person based on their competency, based on, and let's face it, how good they are at negotiating (laughs) um, and what the competition is like and what their previous pay has been like. So many people won't move for a pay cut. Yeah. I don't suppose many of us have. So it's, it's, it's quite complex. So I think, again, I would exercise caution until we properly understand what's beneath it. That's notwithstanding, transparency within an organisation yeah. is really important. I think it's really positive as an employee that you know what it is you're aspiring to and how you can grow. And as as we've said already, if if you can develop your skills and competencies and that can give you better rewards and rewards, then then so be it. That's good for the business and it's good for the individual. Yeah. Um, what I'd encourage individuals to do is be bolder about asking. Ask their company what their equal pay policy is. Ask them to publish some results. Speak to your colleagues. Mm-hmm. You know, And actually, as a woman, be bold to ask for a pay rise. Yeah. You know, these are all things, and we've talked about it before, these are things that women hold back from, generally speaking. You know, the kind of, oh, well, I've got to make sure I'm perfect before I 
ask for this or it's all, it's not very British, is it? <laughs> um, now, you know, I'm not a bloke, so I can't say what it like what it feels like to be a man in those circumstances. But we do hear on our Facebook group a lot about women not feeling that they're good enough. Yeah. Um, or that they've held back. I'm trying to imagine going into an interview with you as a recruitment manager and asking you do you have a band, maybe an internal pay band within a band? Would you encourage women to have that conversation that early? Because that's quite nerve wracking. But yes, at I least would. then you have the transparency of, you know, what maybe parameters there are pay wise and you can kind of gauge whether or not your pay is fair. Well, you know, I really, I really respect people for being direct mm-hmm. and a little bit feisty and asking those <laughs> kinds of questions. Um, but we, we've got to be careful that we don't recruit people that are like us. And I'm, not yeah. to, I'm not trying to talk anybody out of getting a job either. So I'm not a careers advisor. Let me just no. Um, I, you know, every, you know, each organisation has their different culture. I think that's sure. something we need to address. You know, there are if if men are recruiting in their own image, then Ooh. that's going to perpetuate yeah. the problem. It could, same thing can happen with with women. We have mm. uncon- unconscious biases sure. that we don't. You know. They're unconscious. We don't know about them. So we have to be very careful, which is why you have policies, particularly within the HR arena. Maybe community pharmacy needs to mature a bit in that arena. That would be my observation Mm -hmm. was, you know, hospital, for example, academia, perhaps a little bit more mature in the way that they deal with working employment conditions. The average independent pharmacy hasn't got the big HR department to to, to advise on these these roles and things. So it is often, yeah, just the contractors doing their best but it looked we were kind of turning to look at maybe solutions Mm. and proposals of how to address some of these things and when I was looking into kind of equal pay and those issues one thing that um, kept coming up and people have mentioned it here already today is flexible working and I'm interested um, Hannah maybe you can give us some insight on whether there's anything that we can say from the research about a link maybe between Uh, more flexible working or that kinds of those propositions whether or not it has an effect on an industry and productivity those kinds of things yeah we we didn't look so specifically at uh, flexible working but we did capture the people that were working part-time okay Uh, and we did tend to find I think it's the transparency issue that Vina's talking about within the hospital pharmacy Mm -hmm. within university we're publicly funded bodies so our salary scales are publicly available so you can see those scales on the web yeah. So you know what someone is being paid. Yes, yeah. right. You know what competencies they need. And it's transparency, I think, that you need yeah. rather than um, registered scales, a yeah. transparent system. A transparent. Um, so the part-time working, again, if you can show those competencies, you get that salary. But if you're doing the job three days a week, you get 60% of the pay. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that really helps. We did look at some career progression because we always look at whether it's years in service or competencies. Yeah. If you're having to accrue five years in service and you're working half-time, it will take you longer to get there. Yeah. Um, and there's all these things. It does impact on women, and some of the very interesting stuff here is all to do with pensions and on costs and all these things, how you feel at the mm. towards the end of your career. Um, in terms of part-time working flexibility, I would urge people to look at the Swedish model where parents take leaves. They have split parental leave, and okay. it is this is coming into the UK, but the uptake is so, so poor. Yeah. I've previously worked for AstraZeneca, where there's a big Swedish division, and all of the guys I worked with took their six months paternity leave. Okay. So the women would take some time, the guys would take a minimum of six months, and it suddenly evens everything out. The guys know what it's like to be off and to come <laughs> back to work, and you've got this whole system 
which was so much better. So I think there are systems in place for guys to take paternity leave and we now need to support them. There is still um, a perception that a guy that takes paternity leave is somehow being weak. And I think we've really, we've all got to encourage our male colleagues mm-hmm. yeah. to take their paternity leave. It's such an important bonding time. Yeah, and it's that's... so good for the workforce. Oh, great point. I'd like also to talk about um, not just kind of the gender gap, but the diversity gap, I'll refer to that. And um, I think, Deborah, you made this point earlier that equality has lots of different guises. And I was kind of looking around at the research in some of this area, the kind of impact it has on pay and other aspects of work. And I came across some research from the London School of Economics, which found that women and men from minority ethnic groups uh, would earn £9,300 more if their pay matched that of white British men. And we've talked a lot about equal pay between men and women, but there's research that shows that in the UK, even among women, pay discrimination exists, and that uh, female groups like disabled women, LGBT women, non-white, working-class women can find themselves discriminated against in terms of uh, pay. So, Francesca, maybe you're really our expert in this area. <laughs> I'm going to put you on the spot. Can you fix this, please? <laughs> no, but I suppose how can we make it easier for people to challenge inequality when they see it in the different ways that it manifests? Because I think there's a mi- mixture of things that that add, you know, create that that inequality. Um, I think Vina spoke earlier about the fact that if you're in a public sector body, there's established scales, and you know, um, but not everyone necessarily always starts at the same point. Uh, and so, uh, and some of that's about people's um, awareness about what they can ask for, what they bring to the table, their experience, and confidence in asking yeah. for that. And that goes to both women and ethnic minorities. So that's the first thing, even in a public body. But in a lot of um, organisations like community pharmacy or other types of organisations, you come in at a point, and actually then how you progress through that point depends on another person's perception of your performance. And that's when the unconscious bias can come in. Um, and I think in, in those circumstances, apart from the fact that we need organisations to train their managers, probably to be aware that we all bring some level of bias and the fact that we need to be judging people on an equal footing. And you've got to then have performance management systems that are transparent and people can challenge without necessarily thinking they're going to lose their career if they do yeah. so. Because that's where some of the, the inequality then uh, gets into it sort of feeds itself into the system so as you go through you're sitting next to a colleague you're doing the same type of work you're even performing at the same level but the perception of the person who makes decisions as to whether you get a two percent five percent award and a bonus mm-hmm. may differ and I um in lo- when I was in local government years ago we did some work on, on it wasn't called unconscious bias then because mm-hmm. I'm really showing my age but it was called something different And what came from that research was that people sometimes, um, without realising it, will have um, a halo effect on somebody who looks and sounds the same as them. Um, But also, um, they will find it easier to have the kind of informal conversation that where I'll say to Deborah, Deborah, you know, you need to step up in these three areas. I'll give you some suggestions about how you can develop yourself. But then I, I might, to you, say, um, stick to the policies and the procedures. So if you're then looking and trying to understand where the bias has come in, formally you can't find any fault because actually yeah. the manager has treated you 
and has gone through the process. But with mm. Deborah, they've kind of said, let's go and have some lunch. You know, Deborah, you need to step up here. You've not right. been coming in on time. This is going to have an impact on both your progression and your pay. So it's those kind of informal things. And that's yeah. the same for, for ethnic minorities, and it's the same for women as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I've been in organisations where, you know, people, there's no other way for me to describe this, got their promotion from having conversations in the gents. Okay. And it's it's those it's those informal things. Yeah. They're very subtle, that can over time build up and yeah. create those those differences. So when you look at the evidence, when you look at the policies and the procedures, whether it's in the NHS or elsewhere, the policies and the procedures are transparent. They're published. People, but you can't quite get your finger on why does Deborah never get the promotion, um, but somebody else does because mm-hmm. she works as hard. And those are the sorts of things which you've got. Organisations really have to work really hard to get underneath. And that is about training your managers and then holding them to account. And actually, often I find that if you set a target, and I know people don't like targets, but if you set <laughs> some sort of a benchmark or a target so you can measure, because what gets measured you know, gets taken yeah. seriously. So yeah. if a manager thinks, well, this is being measured, I'm going to be looked at this, I've got to account for this at the end of the year, mm. they'll, they'll, they'll challenge themselves in terms of any inbuilt bias that they have because they know they're going to have to account for their decisions. And those are the sorts of things I think that impact upon women and ethnic minorities. They're very subtle, below-the-line sorts of things, and they grow, they build over a period of time. Yeah. Well, I asked all of you to have a think about kind of next steps, I suppose, and solutions. We've come up with some really, uh, really kind of thorny <laughs> issues, and <laughs> Francesca's one is, it illustrates that. But I wonder if we can go around and just talk about, for everybody around the table, what you think the biggest barrier is to equality in the sector. And again, I use equality in the broader sense of the word. You're free to interpret that how you wish. What the biggest barrier is and what you think the kind of key is to unlocking that barrier, to mix my metaphors. So, <laughs> what, what do you think, Deborah? So um, I think this has to start at the top. We've already talked about you know, some fabulous male leaders who are championing Mm -hmm. this cause but there are many that are not so organizations should first of all recognize that they've got an issue and all of the organizations based on Maria and Hannah's research have got an issue um, and actually have a commitment and a serious commitment to do something about this this isn't just because you know organizations like C&D are kind of scratching at the scab it's, it's much more fundamental than that. It's about making a commitment, doing something about it, putting in place some goals and some targets and some aims and monitoring regularly against that. I think the key for me always within organisations for any kind of change, and let's face it, this is about a change, yep. is engaging with the workforce that they represent, getting them involved, saying, look, we haven't got this right yet, Mm. but we're committed to making a difference and we need your help to understand what it is that's going to make the difference. Because it it, it would be the wrong thing to start putting in solutions that actually aren't going to address the issues. Yeah, if we don't understand the issues. You've got to properly understand them. And actually, if the workforce co-create the solutions, then they're going to be much more... Um, engaged but also empowered to make the change themselves and that will need both men and women involved in the process not women alone of you know everybody so that we get good gender mix but we get good um, ethnicity mix we get everything right um, but it needs everybody involved 
So yeah, that would be my solution, my magic wand. But I think we need to put some urgency behind it and we and we need to call organisations out for not doing it. Mm. You know, if there is an organisation that hasn't got good representation in three or four years' time, then they should be called out for it. But we should also celebrate what good looks like. Mm. So where we've got organisations that are making the changes... You know, it sounds like GPHC are putting some good things in place. Let's hear about them. Let's see how that, you know, develops over time. And it would be great to have some role model organisations out there that others will feel embarrassed about. Right. Thank you. Their own performance. Yeah. <laughs> Fantastic. Thanks. Anna? Um, so I think any revolution, and I'm going <laughs> to go that far, um, is, is not one thing. It's everybody doing tiny, tiny things, but we're working in the same direction. It's like a swarm of fish. Mm. Um, so I think we've all got to do things. There's a lot of really successful campaigns. We've got to call things out as they happen in a timely, but constructive and friendly way. Um, make sure we keep that ball rolling. But my, my biggest thing is really the visible role models. Okay. We need to put people up there who we can all aspire to and we need to share those when we see them. We need we need to put them forward. So I see people, I'm seeing all you in this room thinking, I would love to take you all back to university and, and get you to, so you're all visible role models for uh, female students, but there's also a real importance for the visible role models for our male students as well. So I do think we need that diverse, and, and it's where we share those and how we get them in. So I need mm-hmm. I need help from you guys to come back and tell us how we can inspire the uh, the undergrad generation on visible role models. Our mm. readers definitely quite vocal, I'm sure. <laughs> Vina? Um, I think the pay gap, mm-hmm. um, structured pay systems okay. across community as well as hospital, um, things that can be monitored. What Francesca was talking about is human nature and human nature is unique to each person and that is something that is very difficult to monitor and you know that and I know that because um, we experience it all the time Um, so we can put our um, um, the role models forward and it doesn't mean to say that older people are wiser because they're not (laughs) yeah there are some young people out there that tremendously um, untalented and if we can get them um into our 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 gphc our rps Mm -hmm. our cnd then that that will be amazing because they come up with the ideas that are fresh that are new and somebody just needs to um and um that's it whereas pay structure concerns if you have public pay type of sector in all aspects of everything um, especially in pharmacy then it that that should be um, easier to control okay. yeah great Francesca I agree with what everyone's already said but just to, to add to that I think it's about then um, mentoring and coaching uh, people coming through mm-hmm. um, people on the cusp um, of wanting to go into senior leadership uh, um, roles because we can see in terms of the the demographics we've got a large number we've got the population in you know within the, uh, the profession but what we haven't got them is coming through that profession to the senior roles whether it's through the professional bodies or actually mm-hmm. in community pharmacy or in the NHS so I think it's about finding um, the mental the you know the, the role models to coach to mentor to develop to give people the skills and the confidence to believe that they can actually progress uh, through the profession but also think about how we design the roles as we go through senior level roles as well so that because a lot of people think it's a choice between having their 
her family life mm. and having going up this career ladder. And we've got to say to people, actually, isn't either or. Um, you should have the right to have a life yeah. and to, to progress your career. So and I think people in senior positions, like you know, some of us here, then have to model that too and hold on to that. So I think it's those sorts of things that, that, that bode well for the, the, the profession going forward, if we can do that. Certainly will do, yeah. Olitei? <laughs> yeah. uh, I, I think that um, organisations, they need to uh, start recognising what they are missing out on mm-hmm. when they don't um, include diversity. Absolutely. So when, when I say diversity, I mean gender, um, cultures, mm-hmm. because everybody brings something, they bring something to the table, so um, different age, so um, they have to recognise what they are missing out on when they don't embrace diversity in every way, shape or form. And I also think that it is very important for women to support women. Because sometimes I think that as women, we're not supporting each other enough. And also sometimes as women, we don't ask for help. So we just want to say yes to everything. We just want to do everything because we're used to being mothers at home. We're used to doing everything for everybody else and leaving ourselves, you know. Mm-hmm. So we also need to realize that we need help and ask for help, you know. And um, of course, if we don't ask for help, then mentors, um, coaches, and others can, you know, they can't come in. Someone said there's no better answer that you can give than one that comes from yourself. So you no matter how you tell people to do things. Is always the answer that they give that is the best. So, absolutely. Well, that that was one of the reasons why the NAWP mm-hmm. was set up because it was a collection of women that could put ideas forward that RPS at that time was not willing to listen to. Okay. And and hence why NAWP was set up right. because they had ideas and peop- men. It was very men orientated when it was set up. And uh, and uh, originally women weren't even allowed to vote because I think women always feel that if they have other women supporting them, they can portray um, uh, an inclusive picture. And and because men don't listen, they don't want to. But I think that not all men. I'd like to I encourage think. women to um, yeah. to step forward actually okay. to to um, to get more involved and to seek out that yeah. support. I think we've actually one of the things we haven't talked about our strengths, yes. and, and we have incredible strengths in mm. terms of networking and building relationships and supporting supporting others, yes. whomever they might be. Um, and, and strengths of women are well documented, and I would would definitely pick up that when we look at why we need to change mm. it is that it will give a better sector a better profession because actually if you've got diversity in decision making all the research shows that that's better for everybody so with the NHS in in the state that it's in at the moment with the pharmacy um, profession wondering where it's going and having huge aspirations we've got to have great people with great competencies men and women mm-hmm. of different ages of different color yeah. actually making those decisions to get the best the best result from a purely selfish point of view as a news editor i would love it if <laughs> if in a few years time we could turn around and say that community pharmacy was leading the way on this i love reporting on how passionate and fantastic and innovative um, the sector is uh, and there is fantastic examples across the country it just needs that focus and if it 
I can imagine the headlines now and I'd, I'd be able to retire. Um, <laughs> if, if people could point to community farms and say, look, they've got it right. They, they yeah. recognised they had a problem and they put the measures in and this, this is who we should be looking at. But you have your role too, which is, you know, my call out to all the media and trade press um, and, and all organisations is when you're putting panels together, when you're putting conferences together, when you're looking at who's writing for you, mm. look at your gender and diversity course, yeah. mix yeah. to make sure that you've yeah. got at least 50-50. I Fair mean, point. we'll settle for 50-50. Yes. <laughs> that could change. You know, and, and it's great to hear that, you know, you're... you're doing this kind of thing to to really shine a spotlight on it i think one more thing that i think pharmacy has a huge advantage we attract a diverse range of mm-hmm. people absolutely mm-hmm. that's there's true. from a university point of view i look at other courses and pharmacy is one of the really diverse courses mm-hmm. so i think we should just celebrate that mm-hmm. that we're, we're doing the right thing somewhere so <laughs> let's let's uh let's yeah. Yeah. Can, I, can i just say Go for it. Uh, I, I think that nawp need to do more um, they need to do more to promote what they do because personally I've looked at their website several mm-hmm. times mm-hmm. I've actually <laughs> printed off the form to join but I've never joined them mm-hmm. because sometimes I ask what's in it for me what what can they actually do for me and I think they're not promoting themselves enough and also um, I've got a confession as a student when I was struggling, I know I talked about people asking for help. When I was struggling as a student, I actually went to meet Anna Bachelor and I told her that I was struggling and that I needed help. And she gave me a time and um, she gave me some um, assignments to do and I was going to do them and I was going back to report to her. Mm. And at the end of the day, I think I scored distinction in that course. But Initially, I didn't understand the cause at all. I felt I was going to fail. I was really, really afraid I was going to fail. And um, from going to be thinking I was going to fail, you know, and to having, I think I had distinction, I can't remember, you know, I think it was a big gap, but it was because I asked for help. Oh, that's nice. Penny, do you remember that? I thought I was going to take a The Royal Pharmaceutical Society are uh, working with NAWP and we've got a, a, a leadership group that's working at looking for this issue and we have got an event in June for women in leadership mm-hmm. and um, Pharmacy Forward also um, I'll be hosting an event for women as well. So there's lots of different things that are happening and I, like I said earlier, now is the time to kind of get involved and find out more about it and take responsibility yeah, but let's make sure please that we also include um, diversity in every oh, because I think that people um, get involved if they can see role models um, from their ethnicity we are, we are all diverse ethnicity and sometimes when people look at um, events and they can't see anyone that looks like them I think it's, it's a kind of by yeah, there yeah you're right and I think included in that diversity is to invite men because there's a lot of men who are feeling very frail and fragile and feeling they you know they really want to know how they can help Um, and I think we do need to make sure that this is we're using gender as an exemplar here Mm -hmm. but really we should be talking using gender as the exemplar for all diversity so I think we just need to get a few of the few of the guys involved because also if if they can't see you know we've got to share it yeah, I Good. agree. 
We did have, uh, I put out a call on our social media for some questions and comments, and we got a good clutch, some from men, to speak to your, your point, Hannah, as well, um, as for women. So I'm just going to go through a couple of the questions, and then I'll pick on somebody to take them on, and then we'll round up with the, with the comments. So I mentioned Vina. Um, one of the questions from Steve Eggleston, LinkedIn spoke to something that you were talking about, which is how do you grade jobs? I know some pharmacy employees use a combination of prescription numbers and retail sales to try and come up with a comparative scale, but how do things like opening hours impact on that? So I'm going to pick on Oliteo. <laughs> Go for it. Any thoughts? Oh, also what Vina was mentioning before about how feasible it might be to have a, a grading system in community pharmacy. Well, I think that the grading, I've never thought about opening hours, really, mm. in community pharmacy. But I've thought about um, the amount of services that we do, uh, prescription figures, over-the-counter items. So I feel that people are doing the same kind of, in the same kind of role. But, but thinking about that now, mm. I think that if somebody is working late, you know, that's something that we can also um, consider. Okay. Yeah. Uh, the next question is from Campbell Fletcher on our Facebook page, and I like it because it's provocative. <laughs> so he re- no, I, I read through the thread, and I think he was genuinely coming from a place of, of wanting to, to have a debate. So he says, a man qualified for 10 years and the father of two children will probably have 10 years experience. A woman qualified for 10 years and the mother of two children will probably have less experience. Is there a difference in their value because of this? I think it's noteworthy he says value not pay or salary. Uh, Deborah, what do you think? Um, so my initial reaction to that is uh, no. And and the reason I say that is because um, it, it's, it's about what that person contributes in their role at that time. So um, I suppose that's the debate around, you know, do you quantify somebody's value just because of the years under their mm-hmm. belt? And I think you can get some fantastic younger pharmacists who haven't got much experience who are delivering great outcomes and you might compare that with somebody who's been in the job 30 years and and isn't perhaps progressing or or delivering the same outcome so I think experience would be the wrong thing to Mm -hmm. benchmark people by and I just have a bit of an allergic reaction to (laughs) the kind of the women versus men thing for all the reasons that we talked about because it's equal it's about equal pay it's about the job that people are doing having said that there's lots that goes underneath the surface in that so you know has that woman been out of her career for you know seven of those 10 years um has she you know lacked confidence in the way she puts herself forward you know there's there's mm. so many different things that you can think about but I think I like the fact that he's asked about value mm. that's good <laughs> um, but um, it, it's got to be about the job people do and the outcomes that they generate surely can, can I add to that because I, I totally agree with what you're saying I, I, I never like uh, when I see adverts and things and people put in years mm-hmm. uh, I always think that's a very bad mm. um uh, sort of uh, uh, approach to take it is about the contribution you make and the outcomes that you deliver so you know if take on the, the woman who may have been, you know been out for seven years but if they have kept themselves up to date they've you know continued with their cpd they've gone through revalidation they're keeping themselves live to the what's happening in the profession uh, but also when they're practicing they're making a positive contribution to patients and delivering good outcomes I'd take them over anybody, whatever gender, who'd been doing the job for 30 years. But really, um, I remember we at GPHC had Professor Zubin over from Canada. Mm -hmm. And he was saying that, you know, sometimes the most dangerous pharmacist professionals are the ones who 
who are coasting just below the surface mm. year after year with lots of near misses that never quite get um, visibility. Yeah. Um, and they can be doing that for years and years and years. Mm. So you know, technically they've got 20 years, 10 years experience, but are they a good professional? So mm. for me, years are not the determining yeah. factor. There's, there's something else that I, I think is so important that we've overlooked. Um, I use the experience of being a mother so frequently in, in my job as a pharmacist um, and if if I hadn't had that experience yeah. I wouldn't have been able to add that okay. value right. so whether that's about empathy whether that's about Absolutely. supporting a mother yeah. or a father when they've got a, a, a young ill child yeah. or whether it's just generally about the competencies that you need to juggle all of that yeah. and to be organized super organized sure. so uh, you know just because just because somebody <laughs> has been out of the workplace for a number of years doesn't mean that they've vegetated somewhere. <laughs> It, you know, they probably acquired lots of other capabilities, so we shouldn't overlook that. Absolutely. I think the comment, the next comment I was going to read um, from one of our readers is broadly agreeing with both of you. So uh, on our Facebook page, Victoria Birch wrote, performance-related pay is fair and justifiable. Extra pay for experience is questionable, as there are some exceptional pharmacists with very few post-registration years under their belt and some very experienced pharmacists who just cannot perform. Either way, individuals need to learn to negotiate their worth, which yeah. is, I think, a point yeah. a lot of people make. And we also had a comment on uh, our Twitter page from Aisha at Vocal Pharmacist. I think this is a really nice place uh, maybe to draw things to a close. Is we need to change the mentality that men are primary earners for families. Having the ability to bear kids should not be penalised by awarding low pay if women take time off to take care of kids. Parenting is a shared agenda men should equally take part in parenting to enable women to pursue a career. Well, I can vouch for that. My husband took, came out of the workplace when I had my fourth child. Right. So he's he's taken the primary care Good and responsibility on him. During, the, during that time. Absolutely. And I think the point that Hannah made earlier, which is that this isn't a women's issue. It's, a, it's everybody's issue. And that, you know, we need to encourage men, uh, particularly younger men coming up, who will be taking the, making those choices making it easier for them to make those choices and actually rewarding them for making those choices as well. Sure. I'm afraid our time's up, so we'll have to wrap up the conversation there. Thank you so much to all of the panellists for taking time out of their busy schedules to share their thoughts with us. Don't forget to look out for more coverage on gender equality on the CND website. And remember, if you'd like to share your opinion, please do by email. You can get in touch at haveyoursay at chemistanddruggist.co.uk or on Twitter using the hashtag PharmacistEqualPay. Finally, thank you to all the CMD readers for listening and I hope you've enjoyed it as much as I have.